Welcome back. This is Pookie Stew on the Word, and this is podcast two in the series titled Mysteries of the Menorah. Before we get started, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would guide my speech today as the pen of a ready writer, that you would communicate the messages that you have shared with me to your people, that we would all be blessed in hearing these uh, truths from your word, and we would see Christ in a new and living way and see how the Bible is just connected it from beginning to end. Every jot and every, every tittle is written of you, and we love you, and we love your son, Yeshua. In Jesus' name, amen. So last time I shared about um, the menorah, that it was a picture of Christ, um, that uh, was a revelation given to John that was recorded in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, and how the menorah is an ancient symbol. God instructed Moses how to create and build the temple, and every piece of the temple is a reference to Christ himself. Um, the menorah was the candelabra of God that stood in the holy place, and um, the high priests were in service of the menorah, um, the menorah being an important symbol of Hanukkah, how God multiplied the oil to purify and cleanse the temple. And uh, we know now from symbolism, but also from history and experience that Jesus is the one who comes into our life, the light of the world the ancient one, the way, the truth, and the life, and he purifies us through the through his sacrifice for our sin. And so that uh, podcast concluded with the call to purity, to be an extension of the, the revelation of God in the world, and to live lives of purity, uh, because the scripture says, he is the vine and we are the branches, and any branch that is cut off has no life in it. So just like um, the other candles draw their life and light from the shamash in the middle, which is Christ, we draw our light and life from him. And without him, uh, there is no life. And without him, there is only darkness. And so we praise God that uh, we have uh, received and believed in the revelation of his son. But today's podcast um, is going to be an extension of the mysteries surrounding the symbology of the menorah, and it's actually going to be looking at um, types of menorahs found throughout Scripture. So God does everything He does um, in symbols. He does. He speaks to His people in a multifaceted way, and I I'm very imaginative. I love pictures, and so. I started to do I started to look for patterns of seven throughout the scripture and I thought to myself you know if if the menorah has seven candles is it possible that where I find sevens in the scripture that fourth candle might teach me something about Jesus and it's been wonderful wonderful study digging and looking for the sevens <laughs> And um, I've been reading several books and I've been studying so that the information that I've received has not all come directly from the Spirit of God. It's come from wonderful teachers who have mined um, information out of the scripture for centuries, but it's also come through his direction. He led me to find it. And so I bless God for that. But I can in no way take the credit. <laughs> This is his word, his light, his truth, and his love. And so we're going to start with the first um, 
menorah, so to speak, that I've found in scripture, and it happens to be in Genesis 1-1. So the Hebrew text um, opens with a single phrase, Bereshit bara Elohim eight hashemayim vayet ha'aretz. If you notice, there are seven words in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. A little mystery, um, Jewish scholars and rabbis, they write, um, they notate the mystery, but they don't fully understand, being so that they have not yet received the Messiah, Yeshua, in, in faith. Anytime they come upon a word in the Hebrew text that does not have a direct translation, they do not directly translate it. Instead, they notate to the side this word is included but we don't understand the context so we're not going to interpret and i really i appreciate the jews so much because for centuries they've preserved the word of god um, with their very life and there are um, actual torah scrolls in israel today stained with the blood of priests who threw their bodies on the scrolls to protect them as the armies um, from world war ii invaded to burn all of the the bibles as it were so i'm so appreciative in my heart to the jewish people for the sacrifices that they have made and they're very 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 particular as they preserve the word um some of you've heard about the dead sea scrolls um now these were the writings some from isaiah some from jeremiah but the entire book of isaiah was contained within the dead sea scrolls these scrolls were hidden in big vases that were buried in the side of a mountain for over a thousand years they had not been touched and when they were um, archae- you know archaeolo- archaeologists discovered these and excavated the scrolls they stood them up to the bible that we have in our hand today and they were identical and this showed that for a thousand years nothing had changed so there are a lot of people that they will um try to dispute the word of God, but it is fixed, it is immovable. And so here in Genesis 1-1, we have our first menorah, so to speak, um, the first seven words of God. And in the Hebrew, the words correlate to the English translation. So you read from the, the right to the left, and it says Bereshit. Okay, so this is in the beginning. Bara is the word for to create. Elohim is God in three persons. Hashemayim, Vayet, Haaretz, that's heaven and earth. So in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. But mystery is right between Elohim and Hashemayim, there is another word. And this word would serve as the servant lamp of this menorah of seven words. And it is the Hebrew word eight. It's E-H-T. And it's a composite of their first letter and their last. So that would be the Aleph in the Tav. The A and our equivalent of the Z. And so being that the word eight has no direct translation except that the Hebrew rabbis have written that it refers to the word of creation. They do not translate it 
they skip over it. So they say, in the beginning God created, and then they skip eight heavens and earth. Now, I had to ask, we as as Christian believers in Yeshua and Messiah, Jesus, we look at this immediately and think, that's Christ. Because in the revelation that was given to John, the first uh, words from God as he turned to see the voice that was speaking in the depiction of the menorah was Christ himself. And he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come. So the Alpha is the Greek letter A. The Omega is the Greek letter Z. And so these would correlate with the English letters, I am the A and the Z. In Greek, I am the Alpha and Omega. In Hebrew, I am the Aleph and Tav. And so here in Genesis 1-1, we have Christ hidden. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, in the beginning, God, A-Z. In the beginning, God, Aleph Tav, eight, created heavens and earth. So the beautiful thing about this is that Jesus is revealing to in the scripture that he is the word of creation. And first John states, um, the word was God and God and with God and was God in the beginning. John one. So Yeshua is the author of creation. He is the word. Um, it says in Genesis one, God spoke and there was light. And so the voice that was speaking to John was the menorah of God, Jesus, the light of the world, the author of creation. So now we have another layer of meaning um, to the menorah. And I found that absolutely fascinating that Jesus is hidden in the first chapter and the first line of the scripture. It's absolutely beautiful. Moving forward, the next seven that um, I discovered was there were seven days of creation. And so I've all, you know, a lot of people have wondered why is it that, you know, in the early, in the first days of creation, God said, let there be light. But then he didn't create a sun or a moon until the fourth day. And it says that on the fourth day was created the sun, the moon, the solar system, and the planets. And um, I believe this goes back and points to the fact that um, Christ existed before the world was created. Um, Jesus is the author of life. He is not a created being. He stepped into creation to become our lamb, to die for our sins, to become our red heifer. But he is not um, a created being. He existed before time with the Father and was one with God. Um, and so when you look at the first seven days of creation, the fourth day would correspond with the servant lamp. That would correspond to our shamash. And so it's no surprise then, in light of the information that we have now about the menorah, that the sun would be created on the fourth day. The sun is, um, 
is the celestial body that gives light to our physical world. And as the sun is uh, light to our physical world, Jesus is the light to our spiritual world and to all of life. And then it states later in Revelation that when he recreates um, the new heaven and new earth, there will be no sun because he himself will be the light. (laughs) And so I find that absolutely beautiful that this there were seven days of creation corresponding to a menorah and that on the fourth day uh, we see the lamp created the great light or the great candle of our physical world being a, a picture of christ um the next set of sevens that that i discovered was actually hidden within uh, the statements of Yeshua himself. Uh, When Christ hung on the cross uh, to die for uh, the sins of the world, he spoke seven final statements. And I think that these statements are very significant. And together they form a menorah and the shamash of those seven statements would be Christ's fourth, where he said, um, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So I'd like to go through his, his last seven sayings one at a time, and we can uncover more truth about who he is. So his first statement, as he was dying for the sins of the world, he said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. In his second statement, he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That was his second statement. His third statement was, Woman, behold thy son. When he was speaking to to, um, John, and he entrusted his mother Mary into John's care. In his fourth statement, which would correspond with the servant lamp, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his fifth statement, he states, I thirst. In his sixth statement, he uh, proclaims, It's finished. And in his seventh statement, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so... As the light of the world was hanging on the cross or the olive tree outside the city, dying for our sin and for the sins of the world, the light went out. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That that candle, that beautifully lit candle, went out and the fa- and it's and the scripture says that there was darkness for the span of 3 hours for the span of 3 hours there was darkness and then we know that 3 days later he rose from the dead conquering deception conquering sin conquering lies conquering death And now he is the sacrifice for us so that we can live in the knowledge and light of God forever. 
Hallelujah. Um, now, one Bible scholar I was studying uh, when I found this seven was discussing how we have um, dispensationalists have always taught that there would be 7,000 years of human history and then Messiah would return and we would go into the eighth day representing eternity. Um, so if the seven statements of Yeshua if they correlate to the 7,000 years of world history, then we should be able to see um, some context surrounding each statement that might correlate to that time frame. And so I'll be spending the next um, couple minutes sharing with you some of the uh, you know research that I've discovered that's just mind-blowing. So in the first century of mankind, we have the creation of the world, and we have um, the days leading up to the flood, you know, where um, Adam and Eve walked. And then we see Noah and we have Enoch. And these are the, the family of God on the earth. And I believe that um, Yeshua's first statement, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, goes all the way back to the garden because it was only moments after Adam and Eve had fallen, after partaking of, uh, of disobedience and eaten death unto themselves. The Father, um, he shows up with a prophecy concerning Christ. And he says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the serpent would crush his head. And we know that Yeshua and Jesus being a virgin birth is the only seed of a woman that has ever been. Every person walking on the earth today has a father and uh, the genealogy in DEA is transferred from the father into the mother and the baby is born. And so we understand that um, Jesus is the son of God because he was a virgin birth, the Holy Spirit brought the DNA of God to Mary. And so with his first statement, as he hung upon the cross, dying for our sins, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Um, his second statement, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Um, if this statement corresponds to our second millennium, then we understand that it was in the second millennium that the flood occurred and Noah was carried into the ark with along with his um, family and they went through the judgment and came out into new life. And as the thief was hanging next to Yeshua on the cross, Jesus spoke to him and he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And I do believe that there's a correlation there as um, the thief is going through death. He will be with Jesus in life. So he's um, just like a picture of the judgment where the flood occurred and the world was engulfed in death. And yet God brought new life forward. Um, his third statement from the cross was a woman behold thy son. 
Well, in the third millennium, we see the birth of the nation of Israel that was under the care of God. We see that Israel was brought um, to Sinai, and Moses came down the mountain with the commandments written on the stone, and he established a covenant with the people. And we see the calling of Moses from the burning bush. And there's many scriptures um, that refer to Israel as God's firstborn son, Exodus 4, for example. And we also have many scriptures that refer to Israel as the wife of God because she, w- because the nation was in covenant with God, as it were. Um, the Ten Commandments being a picture of a ketubah or a marriage contract of promises. And so as Jesus is hanging there and he sees his mother and he says, Woman, behold your son, speaking to John, so that John would then be entrusted with the care of her. I can I can see the correlation between this and the third century, where um, there is this connection between God and his people, the care of his people. Um, the fourth statement, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I, As I study the scripture more and more, I realize that there has been a fight, an eternal fight from the beginning over who will be the servant lamp. And we know that Christ is our servant lamp. And he has the victory in the end. And part of his um, calling was to die for our sin. And it was necessary that we might partake of him. And it's interesting that the sun was blotted out for three hours. And it was on the third day that he rose. But the scripture also says that a day is as a thousand years. And I know that God's plan and his uh, timeline centers around the nation of Israel. Because the prophecies concerning the end time were given through the prophets of Israel. And there's a correlation between their history and his return. And so it seems to me like um, as I was studying out the three, you know, um, that we're coming upon the end of the third year, that his return is very, very soon. It's been 2,000 years since his death and resurrection. And it's been about 1,000 years prior to that that the law was established, giving us a total of, of three. The fifth statement he spoke was, I thirst. So, in the fifth millennium, or the fifth thousand year period of human history, it would be the time of our early church, as Christ rose from the dead and kicked off the the fifth thousand year period. And, And that's when people began to call on the name of the Lord and become born again. And so I see a direct correlation with his statement, I thirst. I thirst. Um, 
just like in the third millennium, you know, it was woman, behold your son, speaking of Israel. And then the the great Shamash statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the light went out to the fifth millennium of I thirst. And that's when people began to call on the name of Jesus for salvation. And that has been going on quite a while. His sixth statement, which may correspond with the 6,000 year period, would be the day in which we live. And this would be, it is finished. It is finished. See, I, I personally believe that at the conclusion of the thousand year period that we are in, he returns for the last thousand years or the millennial reign of Christ. And then the seventh statement of Jesus was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it's in the millennial reign that Yeshua reclaims the earth for God and he gives it back into the to the reign of the Father. He is the King of Kings and He is the Lord of Lords physically on the planet. Um, the other day as I was studying, a verse uh, came to me from um, Jude talking about that in the end times, the deception will be that Christ is not uh, returning to earth in the flesh. And I believe this is a great fallacy and will probably be the final deception. Um, so just a encouragement to you. It says, when Christ rose from the dead, his disciples physically touched him. They put their hands into the holes and he was a physical being. And they said, my God, you're alive. He is alive. He has a physical body. He is a literal resurrection. And as he ascended into heaven, the disciples stood there watching him. And an angel appeared and spoke to them and said, Why are you staring into the sky? For so as you have seen Christ and you have seen him go, he will come back to you in the same way in which he, he came. And so the angel announced to them as he was being taken up that in the same way he left, he would return. That's physical. He physically left. He will physically return. How amazing is it that the Lord speaks to his people um, and knows the end from the beginning? Yeshua knows the end from the beginning. Um, in my next podcast, I'll be continuing um, the studies of sevens to look for the menorahs of God and to see Christ as that shamash. Um, but how powerful that his fourth statement hanging from the cross is that the light went out and how blessed are we that it came back on (laughs) and it shines forevermore and thank you for listening B'Shem Yeshua